We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Standing on the wall, watching over our freedoms, watching over not just our country, but other countries. And for that, I could never say thank you enough. I could never express my gratitude enough. But let me just uh, let me just say thank you again to the families and to the men and women who serve in the military who are truly the warriors and the bravest of the brave. You know, I was thinking the other day I was complaining about something, you know, as as we are likely to do. And uh, and then I I got the news that someone I I was close to had suffered a tremendous loss. And I thought, you know, I really have to be mindful of complaining when there's just so many things to be grateful for and so little to be distressed about. Things could be and certainly are much worse for many others. Um, Interesting, somebody had sent me this morning, my friend Pat sent me a, I guess it was a a link um, on the show Outspoken with Dr. Naomi Wolf where she makes a full-out apology. And I thought that was great. Um, I really, you know, I'm, I'm very impressed by the fact that she chose to do that. Um, she said, there is no way to avoid this moment. The formal letter of apology from me to conservatives who put America first everywhere. It's tempting to sweep this confrontation with my own gullibility under the rug to move on without ever acknowledging that I was duped and that as a result, I made mistakes in judgment and that these mistakes multiplied by the tens of thousands and millions on the part of the people just like me hurt millions of other people like you all in existential ways. Uh, And she's talking about January 6th. She says, the erasure of personal and public history would be wrong. I owe you a full-throated apology. I believed a farrago of lies. And as a result of these lies and my credulity and the credulity of people similarly situated to me, many conservatives' reputations are being tarnished on false basis. The proximate cause of this letter of apology is the airing two nights ago of excerpts from tens of thousands of hours of security camera footage from the United States Capitol taken on January 6th of 2021. The footage was released by House Speaker Kevin McCarthy from California to Fox News commentator Tucker Carlson. While fact checkers state that it is misinformation to claim that Congresswoman Nancy Pelosi was in charge of Capitol Police on that day, 
The fact is that the United States Capitol Police is under the oversight of Congress, according to the United States Capitol Police. This would be the same Congress that convened the January 6th committee subsequently and that used millions of dollars in taxpayer money to turn that horrible day and that tragic event into a message point that would be used to tar a former president as a would-be terrorist and to smear all Republicans by association as insurrectionists or as insurrectionist sympathizers and fellow travelers. There is no way to unsee Officer Brian Sicknick, claimed by some Democrats in leadership and by most of the legacy media to have been killed by rioters at the Capitol that day, alive in at least one section of the newly released video. The U.S. Capitol Police medical examiner states that this officer died of natural causes, but also that he died in the line of duty. Whatever the truth of this confusing conclusion, and with all respect for and condolences to offer Sicknick's family, the circumstances of his death do matter to the public. As, with a, as without his uh, death having caused by the events of January 6th, the breach of the Capitol, let me, uh, this thing is printed out in the wrong font. That <laughs> um, uh, he died in the line of duty. Whatever this truth of this confusing conclusion, and with all respect for and condolences to his family, the circumstances of his death do matter to the public, as well as without uh, death having been caused by the events of January 6th, the breach of the Capitol, serious though it was, cannot be described as a deadly insurrection. Well, I've been saying that forever, Naomi. Nobody died except Ashley Babbitt. Sadly, and, and actually another supporter, sadly though, the contrary was what was reported. Officer Sicknick died two days after January 6th from suffering two strokes. There's no way for anyone thoughtful, even if he or she is a lifelong Democrat, like Naomi, not to notice that Senator Chuck Schumer did not say to the world that the footage that Mr. Carlson aired was not real. Rather, he warned that it was shameful for Fox to allow us to see it. The Guardian characterized Mr. Carlson's and Fox News sin weirdly as overuse of January 6th footage. Isn't the press supposed to want full transparency for all public interest events? How can you overuse real footage of events of national relevance? Senator Mitch McConnell, Senate Minority Leader, did not say the video on Fox News was fake or doctored. He said rather that it was a mistake to depart from the views of the events held by the chief of the Capitol Police. This is a statement that McConnell made about orthodoxy, not a statement about a specific truth or untruth. I don't agree with Mr. Carlson's interpretation of the videos as depicting mostly peaceful chaos. I do think it's a mistake to downplay how serious it is when a legislative institution suffers a security breach of any kind, however that came to be. But you don't have to agree with Mr. Carlson's interpretation of the videos to believe, as I do, that he engaged in valuable journalism simply by airing the footage that was leaked to him. And remember, by law, that footage belongs to us. It is a public record, and all public records literally belong to the American people. In a democracy, records belong to the people, explains the National Archives. You don't have to agree with his interpretation of the videos to notice the latest hypocrisy by the left. 
My acquaintance and personal hero, hero, Daniel Ellsberg, was rightly lionized by the left for having illegally leaked the Pentagon Papers. The New York Times was rightly applauded for having run this leaked material in 1971. I do not see how Mr. Carlson's airing of video, material of national significance that the current government would prefer to keep hidden, or Fox News' support for its disclosure to the public is any different from that famous case of disclosure of inside information of public importance. You don't have to agree with Mr. Carlson's interpretation of the videos to conclude that the Democrats in leadership, for their own part, have cherry-picked, hyped, spun, and in some ways appear to have lied about aspects of January 6th, turning a tragedy for the nation into a politicized talking point aimed at discrediting half of our electorate. From the start, there have been things about the dominant Democrats and legacy media's narrative of January 6th that seemed off or contradictory to me. That does not mean I agree with the interpretation of these events in general on the right. Bear with me. There is no way to unhear the interview that Mr. Carlson did with former Capitol Police Officer Tariq Johnson, who said that he received no guidance when he called his superiors, terrified as the Capitol was breached, to ask for direction. That situation is anomalous. There's always a security chain of command in the Capitol, at the Rayburn Building, at the White House, of course, and so on, which is part of a solid rock security plan. There are usually, indeed, multiple snipers standing on the steps of the Capitol, facing outward. I made note of this when I was researching and writing The End of America. There is never improvisation or any confusion in security practices or in what is expected if the, of the security plan involving principals such as members of Congress, of Congress rather, or staff at the White House. I know this as a former political consultant and former White House spouse. The reason for a tightly scripted chain of command and an absolutely ironclad security plan in these buildings is so that security crises, such as the events of January 6th, can never happen. The fact that so much confusion in security practice took place on January 6th is hard to understand. There is no way to not see that among the violent and terrifying scenes of that day, as revealed by Mr. Carlson, there were also scenes of officers with the United States Capitol Police accompanying one protester who would become iconic, the QAnon shaman, uh, Jacob Chansley, and escorting him peaceably through the hallways of our nation's legislative center. I was oddly surprised to see the QAnon shaman being ushered through the hallways by Capitol Police. He was ready for the cameras in full makeup, horned fur hat, his tattooed chest bare on a freezing day, and adorned in other highly cinematic regalia. I don't know what Mr. Chansley thought he was doing there that day, but so many subsequent me legacy media images of the event put him so dramatically front and center, and the barbaric nature of his appearance was so illustrative of exactly the message that Democrats in leadership wish to send about the event that I'm not surprised to see that his path to the center of events was not blocked, but was apparently facilitated by Capitol Police. A point I've made over and over since 9-11 is that many events in history are both real and hyped. Many actors in historic events have their agendas, but are also at times used by other people with their own agendas, in ways of which the former are unaware. Terrorists and terrorism in the Bush era are one example. This issue was both real and hyped. 
Patriots or insurgents, depending on who you are, entering the Capitol can be a part of a real event that is also exploited or manipulated by others. We don't know yet if this is the case in relation to the events of January 6th or to what extent it may be the case. That is where the real investigation must come in. But as someone who has studied history and the theatrics of history for decades, I was not at all surprised to see on Mr. Carlson's security camera footage the person who was to become the most memorable face of the insurrection or the riot or the Capitol breach escorted to the beating heart of the action where his image could be memorialized by a battery of cameras forever. And she goes on. There are other aspects of the breach. The White House have been open to citizens. There are public buildings. There are inaugurations and all of this and that. And I'm just grateful that people on the left are starting to see that people on the right, we're not crazy. These are not conspiracy theories. This is reality. And sometimes reality and fantasy converge. All right, don't forget to download the 850 app and don't forget to visit the website, 850wftl.com, so you can join in our contest. We're giving away some gift cards to Bole Fresh Bold Kitchen. We're also giving away some tickets to Duncan Theaters. I am, he said, a pair of tickets, but you got to either visit the website, 850wftl.com, or have our app and, and uh, register there online for the contest. I'm going to take a quick break. I'll be right back. And welcome back. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. As uh, I had a very interesting email yesterday or a text message actually about a very interesting subject, certainly interesting to me as an educator in my past life, uh, a life that uh, sometimes I choose to forget. But uh, I'm going to be talking right now with Denisha Allen. She is uh, with the Federation for Children, 
and that's a Florida tax credit sort of, you know, well, you're for children having some choice and their parents having choice. Am I right? That's right, Joyce. All right. And and I think what was interesting was somebody sent me an article where you spoke directly to the fact that uh, kids who live, particularly minority kids, I'm Hispanic, you're African-American, kids who live mm-hmm. in red states who are members of our community do better than kids who live in blue states. Now, why would that be? That's right. Um, so, yeah, the article read that Students who are, you know, especially black and brown students who are have governors or the state legislators are Republicans, they tend to do better than those uh, states who have Democratic leadership, a majority Democratic leadership. And, you know, it, it's not surprising, but, you know, it is quite shocking, especially when you see that the number of the, the students are in, in those districts are also black and brown. I like to think that it has something to do with the Republican Party's um, leadership on school choice and their um, devotion to making sure that they are doing everything in their party's interest to expand options for black and brown students to expand school choice. Um, Most of the students who are participating on choice programs are black and brown. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it was, it was a, a very interesting article, but doesn't strike me as a surprise at all. Take um, Florida that saw the, you know, one of the highest gains in, in, in academics at, on, that, on that report. And then, you know, Texas, um, we're about to expand school choice yet again in the state. Um, House Bill 1 is up right now. We saw some movement on that bill today even. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's actually quite awesome. Yeah, it is very awesome. And something that I, and people like you and I have been talking about for generations, because you see, I, I happen to be one of these kids who had the good fortune. I grew up in New York city and I was able to get into specialized schools. I went to the Bronx high school of science and, um, you know, that was a public school at the time. But when I moved down to Florida, I made sure that my kids had access to educational opportunities, which meant charter schools. Sometimes it meant private school in the early stages when the public school was inadequate for what I thought was an appropriate education for my kids. But here in Florida, nobody condemns you for putting your kid in a religious school or anything else. And as a matter of fact, we now have a governor who applauds you when you do that. So kids like me and kids like my children had an uh, unparalleled opportunity to excel. And guess what? We did. You know, my daughter's a physician, my son is an attorney, and maybe that doesn't happen if they grow up in Chicago. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. And, the you know, one of the, another reason why that's, you know, sadly the case is because the teachers' union is just so entrenched in blue states. When you think about a state that's ran by the Democratic legis- uh, legislature predominantly, they're really getting a lot of money from the teachers union. So they're not going to support or try to expand innovations in education because it's against their bottom line. Mm-hmm. So when you have a state, you know, like Florida, like Texas, that um, has a Republican Ooh. legislature, they're not getting all this money from special interest groups that are really profiting off of students failure 
And, you know, part of that report, you know, talked about how 23 public schools in Baltimore are failing their students with not one student at those 23 institutions reaching the required level in math. Can you imagine? I mean, as a mother, a grandmother, I'm appalled that they would continue to vote for leadership that fails their kids this way. Yeah, you're so right. When I when I saw that, my heart sank because, you know, these it's about the kids. And you think of I was a student who went to my district schools up until the fifth grade. I failed the third grade twice because I couldn't read. And not only you know did my academics, you know, quite frankly, suck. I was not making honor roll. I was making C's and F's. But that mm-hmm. impacted my self esteem. I thought I was dumb. I thought I was stupid. And I think about the kids in these schools, like you mentioned in Baltimore. They're not graduating knowing how to read. They're not doing math on level. They're going out into the world with wrecked self-esteem. And we wonder why crime rates are so high. We wonder why we have so many of our society's other narrative issues. It's because we've really ripped the foundation out from under our kids and quite frankly for our most vulnerable kids as well. Like they're they're and I I think they've lost hope. But the mission that we have at ASB and with Black Minds Matter is to give that hope back to students by giving them a quality education of their parents' story. Mm, exactly. And and to take the focus back to, you know, I hate to use, uh, you know, cliches, but to reading, writing, and arithmetic. Like, I really don't need any That's middle school. That's a great school... cliche. <laughs> yeah, but I really, I do not need my middle school grandson or my high school age grandson or my elementary school grandchildren learning about different pronouns or who's in the wrong body or or, or to be perfectly frank, and, and you know, obviously I, I'm a BIPOC person, and I, I don't need them being told all the time that they're victims because, you know, the victim mentality can be easily embraced and cripple, like you said, cripple somebody's self-esteem forever. So how do we turn yeah. this around? I mean, how do we reach parents? Well, I think we turn it around by, um, one, standing up to our lawmakers and telling them to, to support the, the policy changes that we want as a people. We know based on national polling that um, the people of America want this. 73% of African Americans, um, 72% of dem- people who devote Democrats want school choice to be expanded. And so we need to support those initiatives. And then also, you know, um, go out and be an active participant in choosing the best school for your kids, there is, you know, there's a lot of power in asking questions. If you're not pleased with something that's going on in your child's education, ask why. You know, why do we even have to, you know, take in, um, be a part of XYZ system? Because the education system is meant to educate students. We're not in the business of funding any one system. We're in the business of funding students. And so that should be the goal, and I hope everyone would get behind that advocacy. Um, Folks can also go to the website Ed Freedom Pledge. That's edfreedompledge.com and sign the petition that's up there um, in order for us to, you know, have 
all the votes and the, the numbers we need to, when we go and knock on doors, we have the, the folks behind us. Amen. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I've been a champion for this. My background is in education, and you know, I, I left the field because I, I watched the disintegration of standards and people telling me that I had to be concerned about everybody's feelings. And I said, yeah, but if you can't read or write and you can't add a exactly. simple line of columns, I really, you should feel bad, you know, because there's no reason you can't do that except the teachers didn't teach it to you. So, you know, I, I put a lot of the burden, as you do, on these teachers' unions, which just ran good people out of education. But thank God there are still people like you fighting the good cause. The other website that you can go to for more information is federationforchildren.org. Thanks a lot, Denisha. Appreciate your time today. Now go take care thank of your you kids. Joy. All right. Take care. All right. Well, that does it. I'm going to take a quick break here. We're going to be talking with Derek, not in the next segment, but at 1245, a little bit of uh, celebrity news. Um, actually, sad news and happy news. We'll cover them both. But I still got some stuff I want to talk to you about. Stay right where you are. I'll be right back. Yeah. Imagine, you know, having schools in Baltimore that have zero students that can pass a math test. That's pretty scary when you think about it because these are going to be people on the street trying to figure out how to earn a living. You know, and, and I got to listen to, you know, Joe Biden today telling me, well, you know, there's more people working. Well, there's also more people committing crimes. Does anybody want to pay attention to those statistics as well? You'd think. Uh, now you're seeing, you know, I just came back from L.A., obviously, and I will be going out to San Francisco at the beginning of uh, April for a brief trip as well. It's just I just miss my grandkids. But in San Francisco, you're going to love this, right? In San Francisco, they are now longing for guns. Yeah, yeah. A San Francisco electrician hides his gun case in a backpack and his ammunition in a toolbox when he loads up his van for a day at the shooting range some 20 miles outside of the city. Though he shares many of the liberal values of his neighbors, I am an equality-loving, pronoun-checking, hippie, San Francisco guy. He conceals his status as a gun owner, worried that they would ostracize him if they knew. The 42-year-old is one of 285 residents seeking a permit to carry concealed weapons in public in a city that has long had some of the tightest firearms restrictions in the country. The San Franciscans who want to carry guns include software engineers, accountants, middle managers, and firearms instructors. They fall along the entire political spectrum, but many have at least one thing in common— they don't want to be identified because they are worried about judgment from their neighbors or employers. <laughs> their names are discoverable under public records laws with some exceptions, according to legal experts. Cities such as San Francisco that routinely denied such permits have received a flood of applications since the Supreme Court ruled for the first time last summer that the Second Amendment protects Americans' right to carry guns outside the home for self-defense. In the past, authorities here said they received fewer than 20 applications a year. 
Democratic leaders in states such as New York and California have sought to pass measures to blunt the effects of the ruling by imposing more thorough background investigations or training requirements for those seeking to carry concealed weapons in public. But a judge put most of the New York laws on hold in October and California failed to pass the state legislature. So let me explain this to people who are struggling to understand this story. As a person who frequently visits uh, both of those cities, San Francisco and Los Angeles, I don't go to Chicago, I have nobody in Chicago, why would I go to Chicago? But as a person who visits San Francisco uh, and at least twice a year and sometimes up to four times a year, it is the last place I feel comfortable walking around without a gun, and yet I am mandated to not carry in the city of San Francisco. In the city of San Francisco, I'll be walking along the street and be literally verbally attacked by homeless people and sometimes physically pushed and shoved out of the way by the same uh, homeless person, and there's nothing I can do about it except run away. That's the advice I was given by a public safety person, actually a police officer in San Francisco, who told me, just run away. Okay, but what if, uh, you know, what if I need to get to point A from point B and there's no way of, why am I running away? This is, I have every legal right to trans, you know, port myself over city streets, no matter what city in America I'm in. But apparently, no. That's not, 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 not the way they feel about it in San Francisco, except now all of a sudden 258 people are pushing back and saying, you know, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want anybody to know, but can I get a gun, please? Because I'm really scared and I don't want to live this way. You know, John Stewart, who I used to have a lot of respect for John Stewart. Really, I did. I thought he was at least one of the funnier of the, the dudes that do the late night shows or whatever. Um, but I lost a lot of respect for him after he left that show and began to just say and do stupid things, I guess, to stay in the public eye. But his position on guns, he said the other day, and I don't remember where I saw him because I don't, he doesn't have a show anymore, so it might have been on the internet or somewhere. He said that more children in America are killed by firearms than by cancer and accidents, car accidents. And I sat there and I thought, wait a second, why would he say that? That that's um that's just not true, you know. And and I know it's not true. Where's he getting these statistics? And so then I I found where he got his statistics from. Okay, and lo and behold, much to uh, his chagrin and much to my pleasure, those statistics come from an uh, a anti gun organization, which by the way, counts. Everyone up until the age of 19 as a child. So in other words, all those gang members between the ages of 16 and 20 that shoot each other on the streets of Chicago, in Baltimore, in San Francisco, in Los Angeles, in New York, in Miami, all those are included in that statistic. Give me a break. You know, they always said liars use statistics. Statistics lie and liars use statistics. And unfortunately, now I'm back to not liking John Stewart at all because he lied. That's a lie. M children do not die from guns as frequently as they die from cancer. 
They don't die from guns as frequently as they die from car accidents or any other kinds of accidents. But, you know, these, these gun anti-gun people just can't help themselves. Meanwhile, I assure you that Jon Stewart doesn't go anywhere in public, especially with his family, without having a bodyguard with him. Or at least I doubt he does, and if he does, he's an idiot. He should get a bodyguard who's carrying a gun. Or he himself should arm himself. Because he has the first right to defend himself and his family. You, you know, you, you really have to, have to question the sanity of someone who would use a statistic like that so out of whack, so out of order, to make a political point. It's just not right. But they do it all the time. And that's why it was fascinating for me to read Naomi Wolf, of all people, talking about, you know, the, uh, the on, you know, how she was making an apology for being so wrong. I'm going to have to put the link up. People are asking me about it. But you, you just can't, you can't wrap your mind around how much power the left and the media have in this country. And that's one and the same thing, pretty much, right? And so they would for months and months, and actually now it's years, they have convinced a lot of good Americans, a lot of good people, I think Naomi Wolf is a good person, right? They have convinced her and people like her that people like me and you, we're crazy and dangerous insurrectionists and we would hurt you know, a, a member of commerce given the opportunity. They called those people who walked into the Capitol building, who basically were led into the Capitol building by the Capitol Police, and then led around as the shaman was by the Capitol Police, they basically have convinced you that what didn't happen happened and that what did happen didn't happen. It's like the magician. It's like my husband always says. You know, if you're looking at the shiny thing in the magician's left hand, the magician is actually doing the trick in his right hand. And that's what they did with the January 6th committee. A pox on all of them. I want to see orange jumpsuits. I'm telling you, I am so sick of being lied to by the people in, in government, by people in the bureaucracies that control this country, that I want to see some people charged and prosecuted for these crimes. I really do. It's enough already, and I'm grateful when occasionally you'll get a Matt Taibbi and a Michael Schellenberger, both who had to testify in front of Congress about what was going on at, between Twitter and the government and Twitter and F FBI and Twitter and the CIA and all this nonsense. You know, when liberals see the truth, it, it, it makes me very happy that they come out and they, they, they do a mea culpa for having marginalized my opinions for so long. I say it all the time. You know, when I started out in talk radio, people would say to me, oh, that's the least believable format. You guys are just like World Wrestling Federation. All you do is promote controversy and egg on people and try to create controversy where there is none. And, and uh, you don't tell the, the news, the straight news. And I always used to say, no, we're opinion people. We don't tell the straight news, but we don't make stuff up either. Our government and the media, the left-wing media, they made stuff up. Brian Sicknick did not die because he was hit over the head with a fire extinguisher. That just didn't happen. But they convinced everybody. They called it a death 
you know, an insurrection resulting in the death of a Capitol Police officer. No, it didn't. It wasn't an insurrection, and it didn't result in the death of a Capitol Police officer. It was a protest which got out of hand and resulted in the death of one or two Trump supporters. How about that? But they deceived you, and they deceived Naomi Wolf, and they deceived, uh, you know, lots of uh, of good people who happen to be liberals. Deceived them. Schellenberger, Taibbi, now they're all like, hey, wait a minute, Barry Weiss, uh, you know, all the writers from the, the New York Post that have moved down here now. You know, Ka- uh, uh, Carolyn, Mark, uh, Markowitz. All of them, you know, all these people, Karen Markowitz moved down here because they suddenly woke up and smelled the coffee and said like, oh my God, they've been lying to us and the le- right has been telling us they've been lying to us and we kept defending them. No more, no more defending. Thank you, Naomi Wolf, for your on-air apology on uh, Outspoken or whatever that that place was where you did it. Anyway, let me remind you, one o'clock, Dan Bongino, at four o'clock, Ben Shapiro, Six o'clock, the WPTV News, and then it's the weekend. It's the weekend. I can't wait. Stay right where you are. I'll be coming back with my son Derek at TMZ, having just seen him uh, yesterday, actually, or the day before yesterday. Uh, I feel particularly fond of the little fella. We'll be right back. They say that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. But in the case of Derek Kaufman, the apple rolled all the way to L.A. The one thing Derek and his mother share in common, however, is the love for breaking news. TMZ is breaking news faster than the New York Times. So sit back and enjoy the news from Hollywood as only the Kaufman family can bring it. Hello, my son. I feel particularly fond of you having just seen you. Uh, that'll pass, though, so just enjoy it while it's <laughs> happening. All the warm feelings are going to dissipate in no time. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, until May when I see you again. But uh, had a wonderful time. I thank you so much for sharing those incredible little kids with me, even if uh, one is a wizard. have to be careful with a magic wand. Oh, I'm telling you, she's been casting spells all over the house, and these <laughs> seven-year-olds, are uh, they're very powerful these days. That's true. Well, you know, I have to laugh because you and I both feel like, you know, cancel culture, we're sick of talking about it, but we're even sicker of it being relevant in today's, uh, you know, media, particularly for people like you and I who push envelopes. That's what TMZ does. That's what talk radio does. And all of a sudden, Bill Walton is under fire because apparently he used the M word twice. I didn't even know what the M word was until I read the article in TMZ. Yeah, so, you know, Bill Walton is, you know, he's kind tall. of a loopy, a former hippie. He was calling the game, the Arizona State game against USC, and he's there with Dave Pash, who he's uh, sort of sitting next to. And at some point, he cracks a joke about, um, you know, someone not needing a little chair because they're a giant in a world full of shriveling, and then throws in the word for, for, for little people, which we're not supposed to use. And then he says it again. He says, speaking of little people, what's your name again? Now, the Internet, of course, goes crazy. Um, Dave Pash sort of notices that this is a, a going to be a thing and responds by saying, what's wrong with you? So he's sort of gently scolding him. But this is just outspoken sort of Bill Walton. In my mind, he's not using the term with any malice. Is it, is it maybe hurtful to a segment of the population? Absolutely. And, and I, there is a sensitivity that should be extended. But his intent is just lost in all this. He's clearly not sort of... Uh, acting with any sort of malintent or anything like that. He's just Bill Walton, the guy who's like freewheeling and, and says 
put his foot in his mouth on occasion. When when did midget become a bad word, though? I, I, I thought it was a descriptive term which applies to people who are uh, shorter than average. Uh, you know, I, I never thought of it as a, a, a derogatory nickname, you know, any more than dwarf is. You know, it's oh, a dis- you're behind. Dwarfism is actually a condition, but this is a, it's a slur. I mean, it is a slur to, to call people uh, this word this day and age. I mean, things, See, my son won't change, even say it. Definitely... He's talking about the word midget. I, I, don't, okay. I don't want to say it because, because it does offend certain people, and there's other ways to describe what's happening. You know, you don't need to sort of use the words that are definitely going to be hurtful. Now, the bigger thing with me is I don't think he meant to hurt anyone. Now, to me, it's different when you shout these things in anger than when you uh, make a joke that sort of uh, steps in steps in a little bit of mud, and that's what I think happened to Bill Walton. But look, I mean, that, that group of people don't want to be called that. So why why some those at, at their wishes? I'd like to ask that group of people if they don't want to be called that because I think that you know it's overly sensitive people of normal height that got all crazy about this. I don't think it was little people that got all crazy about it, but hey. I mean, that, that, that's fair. Sometimes Twitter can just sort of speak in outrage on behalf of people who may not be outraged, but if you want to go conduct a poll, you let me know. Yeah. <laughs> let me know the okay. results. I will. I'll let you know. So Siegfried and Roy's uh, estate is changing hands. They just sold Russia's house here for $155 million, which he paid $3 million for. So do you think Siegfried and Roy it, it, will do as well? It's crazy. We, we, they, they sold their house. I mean, there's no bigger legend of uh, Las Vegas, the whole scene. They basically put those shows on the map, and now everyone is following in their gigantic footsteps, their big tiger prints, I guess you might say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they sold this, this mansion for $3 million for the asking price. And the fun thing is you look at this thing, and it clearly houses – some wild animals, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's more like a fortress in its design. And the guy who bought it is a guy named Brett Carden. He owns Carden International Circus. And he said uh, they wanted to buy the property and maybe treat it as a museum. I mean, Secret and Roy are legendary, obviously, for the white tigers and, and so forth. And these guys are in the circus biz. So there's a, a synergy there. Mm-hmm. Are they both gone, Siegfried and Roy? Uh, yeah, I believe they're both gone. Uh, okay. they do, not, neither of them live in the house. I mean, I think only maybe Roy Horn is certainly passed. I'm wasn't, not sure about Siegfried. I think he may still be alive, but he doesn't want to live in this mansion anymore. <laughs> I saw some pictures that you guys put up at the TMZ website of the interior of the house. It's quite regal. You know, it's a, quite a, an indoor-outdoor kind of circus. <laughs> I mean, it's so Vegas, right? I mean, this yeah. is this is the... It, it looks... Like exactly what you'd want. Uh, that to, by the way, uh, Siegfried also passed away. I was I was wrong. He passed away more recently in 2021, okay. and and Roy died in 2020. So there are no occupants of the house, and it's now in the safe hands of another circus owner. Okay. All right. Well, then uh, you know my condolences to the Siegfried and Roy's families uh, on their passing because I apparently didn't notice that they passed. That's terrible. But. Well, listen, you need to get caught up. And if you want to go to the museum, maybe we'll take Nixon Carter there when okay. the guy turns it into a, a, a tiger zoo. There you go. Well, the one person that did die uh, was someone that I used to, was one of my favorite of all time television actors, Robert Blake. But of course, his last uh, decade or two was a nightmare. Yeah, you know, Robert Blake has had one of the longest careers in Hollywood. He passed away yesterday uh, sort of at, 
at the age of 89. A very long life, though, in the public eye because he was actually a member of our gang, you know, the Alpha yeah. and, and Buckwheat and that whole crew. He was on that show when he was a little kid. Then he, of course, graduated to his best-known role, which was Beretta, where he had talking parakeet, uh, Fred. Mm-hmm. Um, very popular show for a period of time in the 70s. And then, you're right, his life took a big turn in 2001 when he was charged with murdering his second wife, Bonnie Lee Bakley. The circumstances were wild. He was found outside of this restaurant called Vitello's, which still exists in, in Los Angeles. Um, and she'd been shot in the head while sitting in their car, and he went inside to go retrieve a pistol that he said he left in the booth. Uh, it was later determined that that was not the murder weapon, but obviously it's a it's a suspicious circumstance. He was charged, but he was ultimately acquitted and wanted to get his career back on track, and it never really got on track after that. It's hard to sort of come back from a big public uh, murder trial, as O.J. Simpson and Bill Spector know all too well. Yeah. Well, and, and actually, the trial was he was charged with solicitation of murder, not with actually shooting her, right? That's right. He was charged with, he found not guilty of murder and not guilty of one of the two counts of solicitation of murder, hiring okay. someone. And the second solicitation charge was also eventually dropped. So he was never convicted on any of these charges, but it was, it was sticky. You know, there's the mm-hmm. court of public opinion and then there's the court. And he was acquitted in the court, but it was hard to make a comeback uh, publicly. And of course, uh, art imitating life. He, you know, when I think of him, it's first as Beretta, and then as he played in in Cold Blood, which was oh yeah, which yeah. Is, which was a huge Truman Capote movie, right? Yes, exactly. And uh, and and he was quite a s- scary character in that movie as well. Um, so I think yeah, he had came. a sort of glowering sort of kind of kind of interesting figure. So when the murder charges came, people people's imagination ran wild because there was yeah. a theory to the whole thing. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, thank you for coming on today. As always, a pleasure, and uh, and we'll talk next week. Give my love to my. You got it. Glad you got back in back to Florida, safe and sound, in one piece. So come back soon. All right. I sure will. Take care. Hun. All right. Well, that pretty much wraps it up for me this week. It was a short week for me. Monday, th- Thursday, and Friday, and the quick trip out to California on Tuesday and Wednesday. The things we do for our grandkids, right? That I would do that is almost beyond comprehension sometimes, but that's okay. I love them that much. So I thank you for your time this time. Until next time, my plan is to be back here tomorrow at noon if it be his will and he delays his coming. What lies behind us and what lies ahead of us, those are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And if you get the opportunity to go to your grandkid's seventh birthday, even if you got to go all the way across the country to do it and watch her dress up like a wizard at Harry Potter World, do yourself a favor and do it. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. See you on Monday. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.